God. You bring a Bible with you today? I want to go first of all to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 4. We'll begin in chapter 4. And um, if I've understood the Lord correctly today, I think that this service is supposed to be a continuation or maybe part two, if you will, of last service. But since I don't really have time for you to go and listen to it, let me just kind of recap where we were in our last service. We began reading... Well, just look at verse 7. It says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair, in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. This is what we're after, that the life of Jesus would be manifested in our body. If something is manifested, what does that mean? It means you can see it. it means there's proof. And the proof and the evidence that we're after is a manifestation of Jesus in our body. Now, you read that any way you want to, and I think it comes out great on the other end. Our body. We each have an individual body. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in that body. And the goal in this life is that Jesus would be in manifestation in that body. Now, when your body has symptoms of sickness or disease or you're feeling a way that, that you just don't like or you've been diagnosed with something, I want you to begin just to, just to change your thinking just a little bit. And instead of saying, I need healing, or instead of saying, pray for me for healing. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I'm just asking you to change your thinking a little bit. Think this first. What you're in need of is a manifestation of Jesus. I mean, isn't that what healing is? Healing in your body is nothing more than a manifestation of Jesus in your body. And that's what you and I are after in this life. That's our greatest aim, our highest goal is a manifestation of Jesus in us to the outside of us. That's what the word transformed means. It means to take the inward condition and make it the, the outward one to allow what's going on in you to come out of you, for Jesus to be in manifest, manifestation in your body. But you and I both know that you're not just a body, you're part of a body, right? I mean, here we sit this morning as a body, this church, we are a body. And the greatest aim, the highest goal of this church should also be Jesus in manifestation in this body. Anybody with me this morning? Are you hearing me? I mean, is there something better than that? Is there something higher than that? What, what greater thing could happen to this church, this body of believers, than to have Jesus in manifestation in this body? Everything else, you know, I almost said everything else pales in comparison, but no, listen, everything else is in that. Everything is in Jesus being manifest, manifested in this body. But even, take it a step further than that, it's not just your individual body. It's not just this body here. You and I are part of the body, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what this world needs more than anything, more than, more than any desire, more than any wish, more than any goal, this world needs a manifestation of Jesus in his body, the global church. Amen? I mean, what more do we need? Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 21, he said, if you have my words and you keep them, my father loves you. He said, and I will love you and I will manifest myself to you. Once again, what's better than that? 
So don't think I need healing. Don't think I need provision. Don't think I need these individual things. What you and I are in need of, if a need arises, is just a manifestation of Jesus. Jesus, I believe I receive a manifestation of you in this body. Ministering healing to this body. Come on, say amen if you're with me this morning. Notice what he said here in verse 10, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. But I want to draw your attention to something. Look at what he said. Look at what he said that in the middle of. Back to verse 8. We are hard pressed. Everybody say those two words. Hard pressed. He said we are hard pressed on every side. I know you know what that's like. Hard pressed on every side. You know what that is? That's pressure. That's pressure. And the Lord has been dealing with me for, I don't know, several weeks, couple of months now, and it's, it's coming out in our times of ministry, but I see it so clearly that too many of us are living, we've just become accustomed to living under constant and consistent pressure. And you get so used to something that you don't even realize it's happening. You don't even realize that you're moving from one pressured decision to another. Making one financial decision out of pressure and going right into the next one. And the next financial decision you make, you make it out of pressure. And then you make another one out of pressure, out of pressure, out of pressure. And he said, we are hard pressed on every side. I'm not talking about living your life day to day and something comes up and all oh, this wasn't on the plan, but you know, we can just make this adjustment and change and everything's fine. I'm talking about every direction you look, front, back, left, right, up, down, every side, pressure coming in on you. That's financial pressure. That's marriage pressure. That's family pressure. That's pressure at home, pressure at work, pressure everywhere you look, everywhere you go. And he's saying, we are hard pressed on every side. I'm going to make the same statement to you that I made in the last service, but I want you to know before I say it, I mean this. And I'm not just using words flippantly. I want you to know I mean every word of what I'm about to say. I hate pressure. I hate it. Why? God's not in it. I said God is not in pressure. That's not how he leads. That's not how he operates. He guides. He leads. He does not push. God is not in pressure. And can I tell you something else? A man or woman of faith puts no pressure on other people. Why? They're not your source. And the reason it's such a dangerous thing is because pressure goes hand in hand with fear. And the only reason I would press you or pressure you is because I'm afraid that if I don't push you to meet my need, my need's not going to get met. See, there's fear there. Why would, why would a man or woman stand in the pulpit and when it came time for offering, stand up and, and start putting pressure on people? If you don't give, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, we need you to do this. We need you to give. We need you to give this much. And, and they start telling you, all right, whatever you are going to give, add a zero. It's like, well, what happened to being led by the Spirit? <laughs> well, why would he or she do that? Fear that if I don't press you, I'm not going to get my need met. Fear and pressure go hand in hand. Fear, or excuse me, faith puts no pressure on people. But I want to look at it from this aspect this morning. Faith receives no pressure. I believe it's time for you and I to quit living from one pressured decision to the next. Uh, hold your place here. Well, hold on. <laughs> I, I can't take time to go back over all of it, but if you go back and look at the context of what he's saying this in, just back up uh, the verse before that, verse 7. 
He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And this is what we spent our time on in last service. There is something, there is a treasure in the earthen vessel. Now, when Paul wrote these words to these people in this city, and he started talking about an earthen vessel, they knew exactly what he was talking about. You see this in other translations. It brings this out. Um, the, the treasure is in a, he said, a clay pot. Well, that's what this region was famous for. This city had developed a way of, of making and exporting cheap clay pottery. And that's kind of what their, if I understand correctly, their, their export was. And so when Paul wrote and said that this treasure is in an earthen vessel, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Now, the problem with that is, what happens when you take a piece of cheap clay pottery, an earthen vessel? And just so we're clear, can I see all the hands of the earthen vessels in here this morning? Okay, that's you, that's me. He's talking about us. He said, when you take this treasure, you put it in an earthen vessel, but he said, we're hard pressed on every side. Somebody tell me what happens to cheap clay pottery when it gets pressed hard from every side when equal pressure is being applied from every single direction that thing will crush it will crumble unless unless there's something supernatural in it that's pushing back and he said we have this Treasure. What treasure is he talking, was he talking about? Well, keep reading backwards. Verse 6, it's the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What treasure? The glory of God. And we took a lot of time to go over this in last service, but we look back on that day Moses was out on that mountain and he was getting everything from God that he was asking for. And God said, you found grace in my sight. I'll give you rest. My presence will go with you. I know you by name. You'll be my people. And Moses just decides to go all in. Hey, I'm getting everything I'm asking for. Let's just go for the big one. And Moses calls out, cries out, show me your glory. And God said, no. He said, you cannot see my face. No man can see me and live. Moses, I could show you, but then I'd have to kill you. <laughs> and then you look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, going into chapter 4 where we are. He is comparing what happened that day in the life of Moses to what's happening today in our lives. He calls that the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of death. And he says even that had a little bit of glory, but it does not begin to compare to the glory that excels in the ministry of the Spirit, in the ministry of righteousness. And we could take a long time and talk about all of that, but listen, Jesus' ministry is to make you righteous. That's his ministry. That's what he's done. He who knew no sin was made to be sin so that you and I who knew no righteousness could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He ministers to us his righteousness. He administers that to us. And in that ministry that we're living in now, he said, the glory far excels, far exceeds the, the, the fraction of the glory that Moses saw. And that's why he gets all the way down to the end of uh, 2 Corinthians 3, and he says, we, are, we have gone and are going from glory to glory. From that partial incomplete one to this one where we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of God and being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And then he gets all the way down into chapter 4, verse 6 that we just read. It's God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And somebody help me, where is it? Where is that glory? Where's the knowledge of that glory? 
It's in the face. Moses said, I want to see your glory. And God said, no, you can't see my face. But we can. He's made a way for the veil to be removed. And you and I get to see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the glory of God. And God is our God and the Father of glory. You ever wondered why the scripture called him the father of glory? Because Jesus is his glory. He is the brightness of the image of God. And when Moses cried out, show me your glory, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I want to see the part of you that makes you, you. I've seen all the results of you. I've seen the evidence that you're here there's a cloud, there's fire, there's food falling out of the sky. Great. I want to see the part of you that makes you, you. And God said, not yet. Not yet. But to you and I, he has, he has done the same thing that he did on day one of creation. When he looked into darkness and said, light be, he looked into you and he gave you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And it's in the face. We get to see the face. And that is the treasure that's in us. And when you become more mindful of the treasure that's in you than you are of the pressure that's against you, that's how you begin to rise above the pressure. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. When you press cheap clay pottery, it's going to crush unless there's something in it. And I'll give you this same illustration I gave in the last service, and then we'll move on. Uh, I've, I've noticed this in flying over the last... I think I've noticed it for a long time, but it's, the Lord's drawn my attention to it in the last couple of months. Sarah and I are on an airplane all the time. And just yesterday we were coming home. And I've noticed this lately. We'll get on our airplane and I'll have a couple of bottles of water with me. And we take off and, um, I, you know, open one of them, drink it, it's empty, close it back, set it back down to the next one, like next to that, uh, the other one that I brought. Now, when you are flying, most of you know this, but the higher you go in altitude, uh, pressure changes. Air pressure is not as dense the higher you go as it is down low. That'll preach if you stop and think about it. The higher you go, the less the pressure, all right? And you cannot get higher than seated with Jesus in heavenly places. That's where there is no pressure. But you know this as well as I do when you're flying. If you are in a, what they call a pressurized cabin, then the technology is such that they are simulating uh, air pressure at sea level 40,000 feet in the air. But you also know as well as I do, it's not always an exact science. And that's why your ears be popping and you're thinking, what is going on in my head? And that's why some people have a hard time flying. Why? It's all because of the pressure. The, the actual physical pressure of air changing density. And I noticed this when I have those two bottles of water sitting there, when we begin our descent, coming down out of 39, 41,000 feet somewhere, and we start descending, I look over, and that one that was empty, without me touching it, has just begun to crumble and crush and cave in. Has anybody ever seen that before? You notice that flying? It happened to us yesterday coming home. You didn't even have to touch it. You just look over, and it's, it's almost as though somebody reached over and just crushed the whole thing. But you look to the one right next to it that never got open and is still full of water. It's kept its shape perfectly. Well, why did this one crush? Why was this one crushed? Because when you were at a higher altitude and that air pressure was less, that's the air that's in it. But as you began to descend, the pressure from the outside increased. And what was around it was greater than what was in it. And that's why it crumbled. But the one sitting right next to it, identical bottle of water, same brand, nothing special about the bottle, right? It was sustained by what was in it. It kept its shape perfectly. Why? Some special bottle? No. 
It was sustained by what was in it. Greater is what was in it than what was against it. Are you with me? This is how you are sustained in times of pressure. By catching a revelation and a realization that greater is He, who He, the glory He. Greater is He that is in you than the pressure that is against you. God's not in the pressure. He's in you. And a piece of cheap clay pottery will be crushed unless there's something in it that's pushing back. He said we're, we are pressed but not crushed, uh, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted not abandoned. He said we're struck down but not destroyed. What happens to a piece of cheap clay pottery when it is struck down off a table and it falls to the floor? It's broken, shattered, million pieces, right? Unless... There's something supernatural on the inside that's sustaining it. And your way out of the pressure, my way to, to rise above it, what you and I have to do is become more mindful of what's in us than we are of what's against us. Are you with me? Amen. Say amen if you believe it. I want to go on in this now. Go to James chapter 1 quickly. And uh, I believe it would be good for you and I to take some time this morning and look at how Jesus deals with pressure. Would that be okay? Is there a better example? Let me just reiterate what we're seeing here. You see this also again here in James chapter 1. Look at verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You study this out and you find he's saying the exact same thing that Paul just said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You have fallen into, you study this, you're going to find it means this, into the middle of various diverse, some translations say, uh, others say variegated. You know what that means? Random. Of every shape, size, color, origin, and you have fallen into the middle of it. This is what it is to be pressed on every side. This is not just having a snafu or hiccup in your day. This is money pressure, family pressure, job pressure, financial pressure, and you cannot find your way out of it. And that's what pressure comes to do. You ever notice this, that pressure shows up in your life and forces you to pick between two bad choices? That's what pressure comes to bring you, two bad choices. And says, here, you pick between bad and worse, but those are your only options. That's what pressure comes to tell you. And then it'll add on top of that, pick now. Pick now. And he says, this is the same kind of thing you've fallen in here. You've fallen into various temptations, various trials, and this is your way out of it. Notice this, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, that you would be complete, lacking nothing. Have you ever stopped to imagine you lacking nothing? What would you look like if you lacked nothing? What would your life look like if you were, compl if you were complete and perfect? Well, nobody's perfect. First of all, wrong. Jesus is. And second of all, you have been made perfect with his perfection. And that's what's in you. Now, maybe you haven't learned how to draw it all the way out yet in every situation, and neither have I, but listen to me. Quit saying, nobody's perfect. Well, nobody's. That's not your excuse for everything, okay? And most time, people aren't expecting perfection. They might just be expecting kindness. That's a, okay, another message, all right. <laughs> but quit using that. Because here you have a way to perfection. 
Now, it doesn't mean flawless, but it means complete. It means mature. It means full-grown. And what is that way? It's letting patience have its perfect work. Patience. When I say patience, most of you immediately, you think waiting, right? That, that's the, that is the word that's synonymous with patience. And that's why people don't like to talk about it. That's why people are so often just sort of say like, you know, well, some people have patience, some people don't. I don't, so, you know, sorry, <laughs> nobody's perfect. <laughs> but we got to quit treating patience like it's optional. I heard Brother Keith say it like this, you only have as much faith as you have patience. Because when your patience runs out, your faith is run out. Let me, let me just really simplify it for you. Faith is just believing. And people talk about the, the different places of their faith. Well, I don't have faith for that. I have faith for this, but not faith for that. And I, I can't really say that I understand all that because honestly, faith comes by hearing. And if you've got a word from God on something, guess what? Faith is present. And you can believe. If you have the ability to hear words coming out of my mouth and then repeat the words that you heard, do you have that ability? Could you do that if I were to say, say this after me? Could you hear me and then say, yeah, you could. You can have great faith. That's what faith is. It's hearing what he's saying to you and saying what he said to you. That's faith. And we've, some, somewhere along the way, it's gotten complicated. But faith is not complicated. But notice this, I believe it's in the book of Hebrews that says, through faith and patience, they inherited the promises. Through faith and patience. Everybody say faith, faith. And, patience. and patience. See, these two go together. And there is an element of waiting that's involved, but we've got to, there's got to be some mind renewal. There's got to be a change in our thinking about patience. Patience has less to do with waiting and more to do with the condition in which you wait. And a lot of times through Scripture, you see the same word translated patience also translated endurance. So faith is believing, patience is continuing to believe. Faith is believing, patience is the refusal to quit believing. Faith is saying amen in here this morning, patience is saying amen again tomorrow morning and Tuesday and the next day. Faith is believing, patience is continuing to believe. The psalmist said, I would have fainted, I would have lost heart, I would have quit from what? Pressure. That's what pressure comes to get you to do. In my heart, I'm shaking you right now. That's what pressure comes to get you to do, to quit, to change your path, to take a different way. And he said, I would have quit. I would have lost heart. I would have given up if I had not believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You want to know what the very next verse is? Wait, I say, on the Lord. Can you see the connection here? He said, wait on the Lord. Uh, take courage. The Lord will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. There's power in that. There's power in waiting if you will wait in the right condition. Patience defined literally means cheerful endurance. Count it all joy, knowing that patience is at work in you. You've fallen into the middle of stuff, pressures all around you, everywhere you look, from every direction, every arena of life, and it's just pushing and pushing and pushing. And most people count it anything but joy in the middle of that. How are you going to count it joy? Well, joy comes from knowing something. The same way true faith comes from knowing the word that you have from God. Joy comes from knowing something. Count it all joy knowing. 
that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Thank you, Lord. Through faith and patience, they inherited the promises. I'm so glad he used that word inheritance. I think the word inheritance is a perfect picture of grace. We think about it. What is an inheritance? Your inheritance is something that belongs to you that somebody else worked for. Oh, come on. Are you hearing me? Your inheritance. Let, let's just let's get personal. My inheritance is something that belongs to me that George Pearson's worked for. It's mine. But he worked for it. I didn't work for it. That's grace. Grace is everything that belongs to you that Jesus worked for. And he said through faith and patience we inherit the promises. Do you remember the uh, story that Jesus told? We call it the, the prodigal son. A young guy comes to his dad and he says, Father, happy Father's Day. Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. What's he asking for? In a word, what is it? His inheritance. And really, I guess there's nothing wrong with that because it's his. But there's timing involved here. Inheritance has to do with timing. Talk about a serious lack of patience for this young guy to go to his dad and say, Dad, I literally cannot wait till you're dead. <laughs> no patience. So go ahead and give me what's mine, but I want it now. And it nearly killed him. Can I just suggest to you that the thing that you've been seeing as a money problem may have nothing to do with money and just more to do with timing? But it's going to take faith. Somebody help me. And patience. Faith and patience. I was looking at that story, that, that young man, that serious lack of patience. And thinking about that, and the Lord ministered that to me. Just some vision that the, that the Lord had put inside Sarah and I and our ministry and what he wanted us to do. And we thought, yeah, this is awesome. And it's probably going to happen like tomorrow. <laughs> and it didn't. Yeah. And I'll just be real honest with you. We saw a piece of property that seemed real good to us. I mean, it looked like what we needed to to do what the Lord was putting in our hearts to do. And this isn't another place, and we're thinking about building, and now nah, the vision's just getting bigger day after day. And we're looking at it, and here we are, I think at that point, probably less than two years into our own ministry. Now, the price tag on this property is a cool $4 million. Did I have that? No, I did not. But, you know, I'm, I'm faith guy, right? I mean, I've grown up in the, the household of faith. So that doesn't bother me. I'm a possessor, man. A possessor of heaven and earth. I'm a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. That ain't nothing, right? And I'm excited about it. And we're looking at, oh man, maybe this is it. Maybe, oh, this, this could be it, this could be it. And then that property sold, and not to us. <laughs> the, the, the cool thing was it, it, didn't, it didn't impact us in our souls. I mean, we, we've... I'm just so thankful we've heard enough and know enough and experienced enough about God to know that nothing's the end of the world. And we just began to move on and the Lord began to show us, look, I, I wanted you to see that. I needed to get your vision up. I was just showing you a part of the vision. And the vision began to grow to the point we realized that place would never contain the whole thing. Now let me say something to you that I bet you've never said before in your life. And that is this. I am so thankful I did not have $4 million. Anybody ever said that? I'm so glad I didn't have $4 million. Woo! No? Nobody? I am. 
I am so thankful that we did not have $4 million. Why? Because there's potential that because of a serious lack of patience, we could have made a $4 million mistake. And I'm before the Lord on these things, and he said, Jeremy, this has never been about the money. It's been about the timing. It's been about the timing. Your inheritance will come through faith, yes, and patience. Faith and patience. Do you remember that verse? Uh, it's probably not far from where we're looking there in 2 Corinthians, I believe. Um, he said, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. It's interesting. You look it up in the cross-reference of your Bible, you're going to find that he's quoting a scripture out of Isaiah. You go look it up in Isaiah chapter 64, and this is what it says. He says, ear has not heard, eye has not seen a God like you who works for those who wait on him. <laughs> Nobody's ever seen a God like that. Nobody's ever seen a God like that. Nobody's ever even heard of a God like that who would go to work on behalf of the ones that will have enough faith and patience to wait with cheerful endurance. <clears throat> now remember, this is our way out of the pressure. Now I'm not talking about pressure going away. I'm talking about your way out of it because the pressure's on. And the pressure comes, and it continues to come. And it's like it doesn't quit. I mean, that's, that is definitive pressure. It just comes in and in and in and crowds you, trying to take away all your choices and all your options. But I want to talk for a few minutes about how Jesus responds to pressure. I don't know that we have time to turn to all of these, so just listen to me. Jesus... In the book of John, chapter 11, you'll remember this. He's in another city, and word comes to him that Lazarus is sick. The one who you love is sick. Now, before you go any further in the story, put yourself there. How do you respond? What's your immediate reaction? Because if you look at what Jesus did, Jesus, and I guarantee you this was a panicked word, Jesus, the one you love, is sick. So you know what Jesus did? Nothing. He waited where he was for two days. Jesus is unresponsive to the pressure of time. See, most people are living their lives pushed and pressured by that stupid clock on the wall or the one on their arm or the one in their pocket or the one that's dinging every so often. You got another place to be, you got another place to be, you got another place to be. And time pressure comes to you and tells you one of two things. Either you're almost late or you already are. And that could be on a day-to-day -day basis, or that could be the voice of the pressure of time in regards to your whole life. You're about to run out of time. You want to do this? You better do it now. You're getting old. Have you looked at yourself lately? You're about to run out of time. Or it'll come to a young person and say, you're just going to have to wait. It's not, it's not your time. It's not your time. It's not your time. It's not your time. But it's pressure. Either way, it's pressure. It's pressure. It's pressure. And it'll come to some people, depending on what stage they are in life, and this is the big time pressure, you're too late. God can't use you, you're too late. You let too much time go by. You're not a young man anymore. You're not a young woman anymore. You're too late. That's what time pressure comes to tell you. And these people came to Jesus and said, the one you love is sick, and he waited there for two days. Let's define patience, shall we? Patience is the art of living unresponsive to pressure. Because pressure is going to come, but you don't have to respond to it. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited until he said, okay, we can go. 
What do we know about Jesus? He does not do anything unless he sees his Father do it. He does not say anything unless he hears his Father say it. And this is why so often in his teaching you hear him talking about having eyes that see and ears that hear. Why would that be such a big deal? Because if you don't have eyes that see and ears that hear, you can't do what you see your father do. You can't hear what you would hear your father say. Why? Because you can't see or hear. But Jesus lives by this. This is the key to the success of his ministry and the fulfillment of what God put him here to do. The ability to see and hear clearly. And then finally he says, okay, let's go. And he shows up in Lazarus' town. And Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary. And Martha runs out to him and meets him and said, Lord, if you had been here. What's that? Come on, what is that? It's pressure. It's pressure. It's time pressure telling Jesus you're too late. But Jesus, do you think Jesus lived by faith and patience? He's not going to go until he sees his father go. And he looked back at her and he said, do you believe, essentially he said, do you believe that I am who I say I am? And she said, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Mary comes running and she says the exact same thing. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. I think it was Martha that said, you know, I believe, you know, he'll rise again in the resurrection. And Jesus said, forget the resurrection. I am the resurrection. Do you believe that? He said. And then Mary, you're too late. And Jesus said, roll away the stone. And what did they say? Lord, it's been four days. What is that? It's time. You're too late. And he turned around. Watch this. Are you ready? We're going to start connecting some dots right now. He turned around to them and he said, Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the what? The glory of God. If you will live unresponsive to the pressure, you will see the glory of God. Amen? And you know what happened. He said, Lazarus, get up. And Lazarus said, Okay. Why? Because Jesus refused to be pressured by time. He's not going to let sickness and disease tell him where he has to go. He tells sickness and disease where to go, but it's not the other way around. Unresponsive to the pressure of time. Do you have just another minute? I know I'm keeping you long today. You came to the second service. You had to know. It's a trade-off, right? I mean, we can sleep in a little bit, but service might go a little long. You knew what you were getting into. Don't look at me like that. Just a few chapters earlier in John chapter 8, Jesus is preaching in a synagogue. Now, you and I, we've seen some stuff in church, haven't we? Did you grow up in one of those churches that you knew the day you invited that friend from school or work, that was going to be the day that, you know, the lady came with the big flag and the horn and the sequin dress and rolling across the front. I'm not trying to knock anything. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. I'm just saying we've seen some stuff in church, right? One of those kind of churches. And we've seen it. We've seen it. And Sarah and I are traveling. We've seen some stuff. <laughs> But Jesus, this day in church, what he saw does not compare to anything I've ever seen in service. Because he's standing there preaching, and in the middle of his sermon, all the religious leaders come busting into that place, and they have got a half-clothed woman, and they interrupt everything, throw her down in the middle, in the midst. This is pressure in the midst of everybody, interrupt him and they say, Teacher, Moses in his law commands such a one to be stoned. She was caught in the act of adultery. So caught in the act, I doubt they waited for her to get dressed. Because this whole thing's about shame. 
This whole thing's about embarrassment. And they say, Moses in the law commanded us to stone her. What do you say? What is that? Come on, anybody in here? What is that? It's pressure. It's pressure from people. And I love what Jesus did. You can read this for yourself. John chapter 8. He stooped down and began to write on the ground. And the scripture adds this, as though he did not hear them. That's unresponsive to pressure. Unresponsive to pressure. I'm going to pretend like you didn't even say anything. And the scripture tells us they continued asking him, what do we do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Stoner? Don't stoner. Which is it? Which is it? And all of this is to draw attention. All this is about shame. All of this is about ridicule. And let me tell you what the whole thing, the whole assignment on this pressure was to ruin the ministry of Jesus right there. Why? Because pressure came and said, you have two choices. One, stone her. Or two, don't stone her. If you don't stone her, then you've broken the law. And if Jesus breaks the law, he didn't come to break the law. He came to fulfill it. And if he breaks it, this whole thing's off. But on the other hand, if he says, okay, then go ahead and stone her, then all of these people that have been drawn like magnets to compassion and mercy and grace and forgiveness, all of a sudden confusion sets in and says, he's no different than any of these hard-hearted religious people. What are you going to do? Pressure comes. Two choices. Pick one now. And you can see in, in that situation, our tendency has been, we, we fill it with uh, 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 um, uh, uh, we need to learn to get comfortable with some awkward silence. Because just because they're demanding an answer from you doesn't mean you have to answer. Jesus didn't answer. What did he do? Waited. The same thing he did in waiting in that town before he went to Lazarus. Waited. Waiting on the wisdom of God. That's what patience is. What do you do in the middle of high, intense pressure? You wait on the wisdom of God. You wait on a word from God. And Jesus stood up with a word from God. And he said, He who is among you without sin let him throw the first stone. And what happened? Without another word, those guys turned, dropped those stones, and walked away from the oldest to the youngest. And because Jesus waited on the wisdom and a word from God, for all of time and all of eternity, we have recorded and written down perhaps the most beautiful picture of our freedom from condemnation that's ever been seen. All because Jesus was unresponsive to the pressure. Can you see this? Sarah, would you come to me? This is the last one I'll give you. Matthew chapter 26. This is just moments before the cross. And you talk about pressure. Jesus is in that garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And remember, he leaves three of them. He says, pray, I'm going to go over here. And he goes by himself and he cries out to God. And said, my God, if there is any way that this cup can pass from me, you can hear the pressure, can't you? Pressure has come to pull you off the plan of God. It's come to pull you off of what you know God has called you to do. And you can hear pressure coming out of him. But he followed it back up with this, not my will, but yours be done. Then he went away, he went back to those disciples and found them there interceding, praying in the spirit, right? No, <laughs> sleeping. And he said to them, could you not pray with me for one hour? He said, watch and pray 
that you enter not into temptation. For the spirit is, help me, willing, but the flesh is weak. For years I've read that thinking, he's telling them, your spirit's willing to, to pray, but your flesh is weak, so it wants to sleep. Well, that's not what was happening at all. Jesus is over here caught in a battle between the willingness of his spirit and the weakness of his flesh. That's right, I said it. The weakness of Jesus' flesh. He came and put on flesh just like you and just like me. And the weakness of his flesh is crying out, if there's any way this cup can pass, oh, but the willingness of his spirit cried out even louder, not my will, but yours be done. And we know from Luke's account that he went a few steps further and he fell to the ground in agony. Do you remember what happened? He was under such tremendous pressure that he began to sweat. And the Bible says that sweat mixed with great drops of blood poured from his skin. Do you know that's an actual medical condition? It's when the blood reaches such a high pressure that it begins to clot at the surface of the skin. That's the pressure he was under. That's the pressure he was under. And he said, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. You know the word lust? We usually confine it to just one kind of sin, but the word lust just means pressure. That's what temptation is. Temptation is nothing but pressure. It's pressure on the weakness of your flesh. So how do we get out of that? Same way we deal with anything else, looking unto Jesus. Seeing therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight. What's weight? It's pressure. Let us lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And let us run with patience. Other translations say endurance. The race that is set before us. Okay, how are we going to do that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Oh, there's the joy again. There's the joy again. Count it all joy. For the joy that was set before him. He, what did he do? Anybody remember? Endured the cross and despised the shame. He endured. Endurance, patience, the refusal to quit. Patience isn't just you waiting. Patience is this supernatural glory of God that rises up on the inside of you and refuses to quit believing. And for the joy that was set out in front of Jesus, he endured. You were that joy. I was that joy. And because of us, he endured the cross. When pressure comes, financial pressure, time pressure, money pressure, pressure from people, pressure from situations, you get more mindful of the glory of God that's in you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And you get your eyes on Jesus. You get them off the problem, off the pressure, and onto Him. And patience will have its perfect work in you. And you are coming out on the other side of this thing perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Close your eyes.